This podcast is brought to you by the Wharton School at the University of Pennsylvania. Phase one of the trade deal between the U.S. and China will be signed today in Washington. And as the deal is to be signed, there are various reports on what is in this deal. Areas like IP, forced technology transfer, financial services are apparently included. And Treasury Secretary Steven Mnuchin said in an interview this morning that there is a dispute mechanism in place should China not follow the agreement. It also appears that tariffs against China will remain in place until a phase two is set. Brett Decker is a business professor at Defiance College in Ohio. He's also a former editor at the Wall Street Journal and author of the book Bowing to Beijing. And great to have him back with us. Brett, great to talk to you again. Hey, Dan. Happy New Year. Or as the Chinese say, Kung Hai Fat Choi. Big getting off with a bang, aren't we? Yes, we are. And I don't know if you saw the interview with Steve Mnuchin earlier today, but obviously he did lay out some of the elements that are apparently in this deal. The enforcement mechanism, obviously, I think is one of the important things because I don't think there's much doubt amongst many people that trust is going to be a a concern in this deal moving forward. So if there is an enforcement mechanism, there may be some teeth to this. Yeah, but I can't wait to see what's in this thing. I don't know about you. We've been talking about it for months, and there's been this mystery surrounding um, not only what's in it, but the negotiations, which is like more than usual. Um, I think the the sort of snapback provision um, to infor- uh, for enforcement is going to be fascinating. I think we talked about that last month. There was some controversy in the White House if it would be um, a deal killer or not. And I think what's interesting is China, um, during this whole process, China has insisted in, in, a, in an irregular kind of way on all the provisions and what's on the table being kept secret. So, um, I, you know, I think that, I think it's pretty interesting. And even if there's a lot of grousing on both sides. You talk yep. to people, everyone's saying it's not good for us, it's not good for China. Um, China's the one who's been insisting that um, everything be kept super secret, even if it's not a good deal for the U.S. Um, that kind of symbolically makes it look like China's more worried about the deal than we do. So I think, I think, that's fa- I think it's very interesting. This idea of trust, I think, really important, um, like you mentioned. And that's where this, um, th- these enforcement mechanisms come, in, come into play. And I think one interesting or one unique factor of this, and it shows how Trump's not really he's not in any hurry. Right. Um, A lot of us thought he needed a, a, you know, a a political win on this. But even from what I've heard is uh, even the rollback on the Chinese tariffs don't happen until after the election. So this idea he's using it to boost the economy or, you know, get a lot of these things done, um, you know, reassure Wall Street. if if the changes don't happen till after the election anyway, this is uh, right. It, it, it's sort of a, I guess symbolic, um, but I think it's pretty interesting just showing the uh, the confidence, on, the difference in confidence on the two sides. The, the issue of currency manipulation is one that's been tied to China for for quite some time, and it's been discussed uh, in the last couple of days as well. Uh, that uh, the U.S. as part of this deal is no longer going to consider China a currency manipulator. But how much of a concern has there been in your mind over the last couple of decades on this issue? And is there some is some you know importance to the U.S. making this statement right now? Yeah, I think it's I think it's a really important issue. I think I think one of the uh, one of the angles on this is whatever the reality of the situation is. If, if you have this kind of thing in an agreement that both both sides sign, because China's always said we're not a currency manipulator. We're always saying, look, you're you're messing around with all all of this to give yourself a benefit on price. Um, 
but if you have this in a document and sort of tacitly Chinese admit is admitting um, maybe they were up to something before, and I think it's uh, the same thing happens uh, from whatever from everything I hear in the White House. What they had in this really short fact sheet was that it includes currency manipulation agreement on um, stopping intellectual property theft. If these are in the agreement for the first time, China's kind of saying, "Well, maybe we were doing something," and I think I think that's a I think that's an important sort of admission. So, and then I guess it's important then to to look at, at President Xi then for a couple of minutes here uh, about some of these maybe you know statements being made by the Chinese that they were involved in some of this activity, and whether or not President Xi really does want to see some change within their country. That's kind of the that's kind of the huge question with with the governing structure in Beijing is right. How is this? How is the tug of war going inside uh, inside the country? On a lot of things, crack down on Hong Kong, um, crack down on religious freedom, uh, a, a, uh, less free speech uh, than even ten years ago. Um, President Xi is actually um, a harder line is is an exacting a harder line than than the last ten or fifteen years. So. It's, it's, it's curious, you know, that a lot of times they have these show trials and a lot of times the media sort of misreports this as a crackdown where it's really symbolic. Like we, we get some official who's taking money or some CEO, execute him, whatever they do there. Um, and, and it's this idea that they're cleaning up and a lot of times it's just, it's, it's just for the theater of it. Um, what's really going on though, she does have a lot, right? He has a lot on his plate. Uh, in, in the fall, they're predicting that the 2020 economic growth in China would be 6%, right? So they had decades of double-digit uh, yeah. growth. Yeah. Now it's been downgraded to 5.6%. So it's like every quarter, the predicted growth goes down. So she needs to do something. And who knows, if you're desperate, uh, you know, maybe good things can happen for the people in, in China and their U.S. Their relationship with the U.S. out of this. Uh, in terms of keeping the, the tariffs in place, uh I think the move there by the administration, by the Trump administration, is to try and continue to have the Chinese come to the table to work towards a phase two agreement. If you would pull all the tariffs off after a phase one, there's really no impetus for them to come back to the table and go farther. Right. That's an important point, Dan, is is right. no matter what, this, this phase one, even if both sides or one side or the other can kind of spin it as a victory, if you look at all the wide-ranging issues that are sort of in contention between uh, Washington and Beijing, this phase one is relatively small, right? So when you talk about all the technology, agriculture, financial enforcement issues, currency manipulation, subsidies dumping, uh, like we've talked about before, the whole manufacture of opioids that are dumped in our country, state-owned enterprises, there are a lot of issues that this is, that phase one isn't handling. So the idea of Getting an actual phase two is really important um, to make progress. So um, holding this over their head, um, it, I mean, it's definitely a motivating factor. What I think is interesting is uh, President Trump doesn't think right he needs anything to be instituted first. And the Wall Street Journal a few days ago had an interesting article saying um, two years of a trade war had really minimal effect on the U.S. economy. Um, right? There's a lot of doom and gloom about it, but overall the numbers have been pretty good. Um, even um, even for farmers, uh, they lost 25 billion. Their trade from China uh, went from 25 billion to about seven. 
But the agricultural department compensated for that with $28 billion in aid. So farmers actually had more more money than, out of uh, this China situation than before. So even farmers um, weren't hit necessarily like has been, been reported. So I, I think the difference in the negotiating position on the two sides is very interesting and will continue to be going forward. Uh, this year as these negotiations continue. One of the areas which has been uh, talked about a lot that uh, I think a lot of people around the world would like to see China really address is in the area of human rights. And uh, um, Secretary Mnuchin made an interesting distinction in his interview earlier today talking about the fact that there are the trade issues, obviously a lot of these issues surrounding uh, technology transfer, IP, financial services, and then there are more of the security issues. And he viewed human rights being one of those security issues that is probably separate from what we're talking about here and more maybe on the plate of Mike Pompeo. Yeah, I think, I think, I think it's a fascinating and, and very important subject. If you just look at Hong Kong, you know, I, used to, I lived in Hong Kong for four years. If you just look at what's going on in Hong Kong, that, I mean, uh, you know, this increasing worry in China is not just that they're going to be like a new Cold War like we had with the Soviet Union. There's this idea maybe China just breaks up. You have all these, um, you have all these pressure points, not only on a de- uh, declining economy, but um, upheaval uh, all over the place. What, what happens if China becomes a failed state? That's an even bigger problem, um, especially on the security front. So I think that's, that's something you're going to start to hear more of. Um, usually this idea of China as this big red dragon that, that's going to like gobble us up has been sort of the main narrative of, of U.S.-China uh, uh, relationship. I think you're going to increasingly see this idea of what if China just, just fails? And I, and I think it's a, I think it's a sort of, I think it's a realistic consideration to be discussing in the world community. Finally, I guess then the question is going to be a little bit of wait and see as to what China does moving forward when they when you're looking about the structure of their country and 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 politically as well moving forward is about whether or not they make certain law changes to areas surrounding like cybersecurity and the forced technology transfer. This is still going to be a little bit of a wait and see. Yeah, this this whole idea of, you know, what is the Chinese identity going forward? You know, since Nixon went to China, um, Right. This whole idea has been eventually they're going to normalize, become more democratic, more free, um, you know, have a better relationship, uh, sort of less nefarious relationship with uh, global economic partners. Um, so far, we haven't seen this happen. So possibly, you know, this phase one of this trade deal, if President Xi is desperate enough, maybe it can be a slight turning point to you know, China being a more responsible member of the world community. We'll see. Brett, as always, great to talk to you. Look forward to uh, reaching out to you again down the road. Brett Decker, business professor at Defiance College, former editor at the Wall Street Journal and author of the book, Bowing to Beijing. To keep engaged with Wharton Business Daily and other Wharton School shows, visit businessradio.wharton.upenn.edu.